I want to, uh, this is our, this is, this is going to uh, function as our congregational meeting. And I just want to give you something that I felt like the Lord uh, gave me to share with the church. And I don't tend to use that kind of language uh, real easily or loosely. Uh, so I want to read the first paragraph because I felt like I should read it, and I don't like to do that. We have something special here, and I mean here at the vineyard. Uh, yeah, this vineyard, if you're, if you're wondering. Uh, but I think in order to recognize what we have here, we need to look at a story in Scripture of a, a group of people who by all appearances were, were at their very best ordinary. And one of their pastors uh, brought a message to them that illuminated uh, how special they were, and, and, it, and it unleashed their church. And that's what I, I hope to do today, because I, I believe God wants to recognize something about us as a, as a community that's special, and, that, and, in, and in bringing this sort of on the, putting on the table for us, I want you to hear the Lord inviting you into something. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to just read four verses. And in those four verses, I want you to see that there's, in these four verses, what makes us special, or who makes us special, what being special looks like, and then why we are special. So, when we read this passage, I want you to see who makes us as a community special, what being special looks like, and why we're special. So let me read this passage. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay, in Zion, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will be honored. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, now and hear this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. So, Peter, who was the, the pastor who wrote this portion of scripture, was writing to a group of people who were just going through a phenomenally difficult time. If you, if you know much about the, the, the letter of Peter... First Peter, he was writing to a bunch of people, uh, uh, a bunch of believers who for, were from a Hebrew background. Uh, in, in his book, the word suffer and suffering is mentioned over and over and over and over. They were going through a very difficult time, and, and it was related to their faith. And they felt like outsiders. They felt like they didn't fit. They didn't feel special. They didn't feel anything significant about them. In fact, they felt the opposite. They just felt like, wow, you know, uh, we're anything but special. If we were special to God or we were special to anybody, our lives wouldn't just be uh, so difficult. And so Peter starts off 
and I, I, I could have gone a little earlier and, and read from it, that text, but the first thing he said to them, and I think it's, it's something we need to take note of because it's true about us, is who made them special was Christ. Who makes us special is Christ. And he uses this phrase from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 28, that Jesus was the cornerstone. And a cornerstone was this massive stone that would be specially prepared to be the foundation of a building, of a huge building. And it was very expensive. It was the most important part of a building. In fact, you would never build a building without having a cornerstone. And so he says that, that God is creating a new creation, a new building, a new everything, and it's built on the cornerstone, Jesus. So the cornerstone of, of God's new creation in the world is Christ himself. Now, he mentions that Jesus was not regarded very highly. Now, you would think that someone who did all the miracles that he did and uh, taught the things that he taught and, and the love that he showed, etc., would certainly have gathered uh, just universal respect. But that's just not true. In fact, if you think that, that everybody who saw a miracle believed in Jesus, you're forgetting about the, you know, the focal point of Jesus' whole story, which is the cross. They rejected him, despite everything he did, despite him being the fulfillment of their national hopes and every individual person's hopes and dreams, they rejected him. He was the chief cornerstone that God said, I'm going to, everything that's wrong with the world, I'm coming to begin to make it right. And I'm doing it through my son, my servant, the Messiah, Jesus. And they just said, we don't want that. You know, we, he doesn't look like the kind of Messiah that this is what the Jews essentially said. This is not the kind of Messiah we're looking for. Uh, we get all the miracles and you know, the great teachings and all, all the stuff, raising the dead, the whole nine yards, but, you know, he is, he, he's not cool. He's not, he doesn't fit our profile of what we want in a leader. And this sort of criteria that they were using to evaluate Jesus is a criteria that we often evaluate ourselves by, or we evaluate our church by, uh, we, we pick criteria that's, that's utterly wrong to evaluate things with. And Jesus is this cornerstone who, in fact, one of the terms that, to us that's the most familiar term, let's just give you an example of, of why he was so despised. He called himself the Good Shepherd. Now, when, when you hear that phrase, everyone just thinks, oh, it's just this heartwarming phrase. Yeah, good shepherds. Shepherds back then were like garbage men. They were, they were considered very low class, un, an untrustworthy class of people. You don't want your kids to grow up and be shepherds, right? Like there's the old country western song, Mom, don't let your boys grow up to be cowboys, right? Uh, okay, wow. I thought at least one person would smile. Okay, thank you, Desi, too. too. Okay, thank you. Some of you just raise your hands because I'm dying up here, right? <laughs> Jay's raising. 
Nobody wanted their kid to grow up and become a shepherd. It was just low class, you know, Hebrew trash. It was not the kind of person that you wanted to, you know, that's not, your Messiah is a shepherd, right? And the whole image of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords was wrapped in this picture of humility and identifying with all the human weakness in the world. And that in itself isn't a recipe for people who like hip, cool, powerful, successful, like Americans do, to be drawn to that kind of a person. And so what you see is, if this, this passage you read, it says that, that Jesus is this, this sort of continental divide where people can, you can see where people's hearts are with respect to God and just goodness. No matter what we say about we want goodness and justice and truth, if you don't want Jesus, you don't want those things. He was the embodiment of them. But when you hear the gospel, it, it says things about ourselves we don't like to hear. It says that we're ruined. That he came and he identified with the lowest classes of people because we're all low class people no matter how we see ourselves. But that's the good news is, is that God loves us right where we are and he meets us where we are. If we'll just admit that, then the transformation can start. But some people don't want to embrace that. They, don't, they want to carry on with the illusion that they're really good people. Despite what we know we're like in the dark when nobody sees us, when God sees us. But God says, I know that about you, but I love you. And so Jesus came to communicate that. And so it's a message that sort of has, you know, this, this soft, loving side, but it's also this, there's this sharp edge to it that it exposes us, but it exposes our hearts in a way to love. It doesn't expose our hearts to censure and Ugh. Jesus did never go, Ugh. you know, he's, I, oh gosh, I didn't know you were like that. And he just recoils. He moves towards us when we're at our worst. And so he is called a good shepherd. But it's not a picture that, that is, is, is particularly, you know, attractive to people who don't want to wrestle with the mess in their lives and, and who want to just, Play the game the way they've always played it. But they want a little religion too. Well, what Jesus did is he's this cornerstone that wasn't respected or regarded. And the people who, but, but he was God's cornerstone. In other words, people couldn't see it, but God was with him. God was in him. He was God. And it says, uh, uh, the passage says, I lay in Zion, so God laid in Zion. In other words, the work of God in the world. What makes us special is this Jesus, who we recite the Apostles' Creed, confessing our belief in that the, the, the contours of the gospel, the message, the truth, the heart of, of our faith. I lay in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone. 
The one who trusts in him, will, it says, will never be put to shame. But the Greek also can be, be translated, will be honored. See, he's honored even if people despise him. And so whoever believes in him receives honor, his honor. So God's saying, those who didn't deserve honor will be honored if they will honor him. But to honor him means you have to lose your life. It means you have to lay down your life. You have to lay down the pretense and control and all these things that, that are really hard to lay down because we, we feel like, gosh, you know, my life isn't great, but it's at least my life. And I don't know if I want to take the risk of embracing this good news life of Jesus, following him. I mean, look how he ended up. I don't want to end up like that. Uh, but he ended up like that, so we don't have to end up like that. But we do have to lay things down. But he promises this honor that will come. Now, we've experienced that. That's what makes us special as a church. Is from the beginning, when, when we planted this church, when Kathy and I moved here back in 1981, we came into town with this used car that my parents had given me as a wedding gift. And I always wanted, you know, my parents were fairly comfortable people. And I always thought, you know, why did you give me a used car? <laughs> but they were very frugal. To them, that was, a, that was a wise thing. But, you know, back then, I still had a little bit of that in me. I want a new car. I want a cool car. They gave us this sedan. <laughs> this brown sedan. <laughs> and, and we had four suitcases uh, Kathy had two suitcases full of clothes. I had one suitcase full of clothes. We were missionaries, so we didn't have a lot. And we had one suitcase full of pots and pans. And we had two sleeping bags that we would zip together and sleep on the floor of our little three-bedroom apartment when we moved here. And we had $3,000 in our hands. And we moved here and just thought, okay, this is what God wants us to do. And, and years later, uh, you know, the, the, a, a church has, has been birthed. And a lot of people were part of that. I'm just saying... When we came in, we didn't have anything. But what we had was that, that Jesus had invited us to follow him. And what he had called us to do in our particular uh, purposes in the world was to come and help plant a church in Columbus. And it took us a while to figure that out and learn how to do it. And I'm, I'm just not sure we, we still figured it all out. Uh, as you can always see, it's all out there. But... What being special looks like when you honor Jesus, a community will be birthed. People will begin to be drawn to Jesus because when you honor him, his honor begins to show in your life. And that's what makes us, that's what makes our congregation special. And the next thing he says in this passage was, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And he says, this is what a special community looks like. He said there were four things about them. That they were very ordinary people that because they honored Jesus, he, this honor was conferred on them by his grace. And he said there were four qualities. One was they were a chosen people. See that when you picked a cornerstone out, you went through all kinds of stones and you found the best one. And it had to be designed very special. It had to be perfect. And now we know as ordinary people, we're not perfect. But by grace, we become what we can't be because 
Our lives are built on the foundation, Jesus. And he says that you become chosen, that God says, I want you. I want you. I called you. I want you. Everybody, nobody else may want you, or very few people may want you. Your life may be like the, 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 the baseball game when you're growing up, and everybody gets picked but you. Or you're the ninth person picked because the only other kid left to get picked was a girl. And you're playing football, right? And, and you just feel humiliated because you're slow and you're uncoordinated. But Jesus says, I want you. You. We, this congregation, was chosen by God. Secondly, we're a royal priesthood. It just simply, it means we have direct access to God. That's what the idea of a priest in the Bible is. It's someone who has direct access to God. Like we're on a first name basis. We don't stand outside the club. We walk in past the line. VIP access. We're like the Kardashians. <laughs> Jesus gave us something he had with his father. Jesus talked to his father in a way that was so familiar that the people couldn't, they, they thought he was blasphemous because he called God his father. But what he did, and when we, everybody that believes in him gets the same access to the father that Jesus had. Not because we deserve it, but because Jesus gives it to us. Third, they're a holy nation. To, to be holy means to be set apart for a special purpose. And we're set apart, the, the, the greatest part of, the, of holiness is that God set us apart for Him. And this connects to the next part. A people belonging to God. God says, you're people who are precious to me. And I, I, I give you and show particular care to you. I provide for you in a, in, a, in a way that reflects how precious you are to me. This congregation, we are a people belonging to him. And I'll tell you when I realized this, back as our, as our, as, as our church progressed, and started growing, and, and we moved around a bunch. This is the 11th building we met in, and we've been in this one a long time, but we, we were sort of like a hermit crab church. We would meet anywhere people would let us meet. And I remember as, as we progressed through that time, I got five different job offers to go to different places, Washington and here in town, a couple of churches here in town. And, you know, our church was pretty small, and it was, but it was growing, but, you know, I kept getting these job offers, and I'd go and tell Kathy, and we'd pray about it. And I remember one time, uh, one of the job offers was out in the state of Washington in Seattle. I don't know if you've ever been to Seattle before. I'd never been to Seattle. No, I, I guess I had at that point, because we, we were in Tacoma. But uh, Seattle's a pretty cool place. I hate to say it, it's a little cooler than Columbus. <laughs> Sorry, this is home now. But back then, when you're you know, 26, 27 years old, and there's maybe an opportunity to live in Seattle. It's a pretty cool place. And I remember uh, praying with a friend of mine, because I was praying about this for, for a couple of weeks, a couple of months, and we were doing some ministry at the University of Minnesota, and we were driving back, and we were in this snowstorm. And so we figured, you know, 
uh, we might as well pray. And, it drive, and so we, were, we left at about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and we were driving you know, all night. And it was about 3 in the morning. It was just a completely white out. I don't know why we were driving. But we, it, the Lord did something in my heart in this time of prayer that was very surprising and sudden. Is I just remember all of a sudden... And I'm th- thinking about it with respect to this church, because I'm thinking, I think I should go someplace else, and, you know, is that what you want me to do? And the Lord just gave me this heart of love for our church and for our city that I can't even explain. I don't even know how to explain it. It's just like, it was a very powerful experience. I won't go into whole, all the details of it, but at that moment, I knew the Lord had this love for a group of people and a city and a community and that that's and that he gave me his love for it and i just after that i mean anybody I, job offers i just say thanks no thanks you know lord will be open to it but you're gonna have to really speak to me because this is what i i felt your love for for these people now i'm trying to think i'm looking around roy and margaret are still here <laughs> and uh who else? Me and Kathy. I don't know if there's anybody else. Yeah, Diane. There's maybe six or eight people in our church back from that are still here back then. And John Warmer used to tell us that, that pastoring a church is like preaching to a parade. You know, <laughs> as the people move by, it's, it's true. I used to think, oh, that's just Southern California. But no, it's, it's Columbus, Ohio, too. And we're special. Also, the last point he said was, You belong to God that you may declare the praises or the mighty works of God who calls you out of darkness into his light. So what makes us special is Christ. What being special looks like is being a community that's precious to him, that has this direct access to him, that's just, it's like we're his special gift. And the cause, the, why we're special is he, we have this cause to declare his great works to the world. The great works he's done in our lives. The, the great work he did in the cross, which makes all of it possible. The great works that he's doing in other people's lives. That we are, that's, that's our main vocation and our calling. That is our cause. Christ. The cornerstone makes us special. He makes us a community. But it's not just a community for us. It's a community for the world. It's a community that has a cause, a purpose, a calling. And it's to declare to the world that God loves them, He's pursuing them, and He wants a relationship with them, and He wants their life to be different. He wants our community to be different. And we've been... Rick and I were talking about this uh, if some of you guys don't know, Rick's on our staff. And we were talking about some of the things that we've, we realize about ourselves a while back. And, and one, of the, one of the unique things about our church is, and I'm, I'm not, I think all churches are, are special, as special as ours. I don't think we're uniquely special. But I think a lot of us don't think that this is a special place. And this will be our 30th year as a vineyard. And we're, we're, right now we're starting to uh, send out... Uh, request to people and ask them to tell us their stories, their Holy Ghost stories uh, of, of being a part of the vineyard. 
because we have so many, it's hard to, to even think of how we're going to edit them down and which ones we're going to leave, the stories we're going to leave out as we start talking about this because God's been so good to this little church over the years. And we've, we've been, in a unique way, like chaplains to this city. There's, there's something about who God made us to be that, that it's like we have been there, you have been there for so many people over the last 30 years. I can't tell you uh, the stories I keep hearing from people, unsolicited stories of how God has, has just put his hand on us and made us special. And one of the things that we've been special is that we've been chaplains. And you know what chaplains are, right? When, when your life is, is in a crisis, these people bring God to you and he becomes real to you in your crisis. And, we, you know, our, our mission statement says we want to make Jesus real to this city. And I'll tell you four ways that we've done that. I'm not going to tell you a story. There's, there's stories for each of these. There, there's a hundred stories for each of these four things. But this has sort of been our character. We, and I think we're, 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 we're recapturing this, we have been a people, uh, historically, of really passionate worship. That people, a part of our church, we've been passionate to worship Jesus together. Now, worship is a, a, a lot. The, you know, worship has a lot of different aspects. Life is our worship. But when we gather together in particular, uh, for a long time, we, we've, we were always uh, a people of very passionate worship. And I think that's something that God's starting to, to birth among us again. Secondly, we've been a people who have always had an ambition to learn to love well. That I've had people tell me, unsolicited comments, they say, there's a lot of things about the vineyard that's kind of ordinary. <laughs> about this community, you guys. But there's something that's distinct about this church, they'll say, because you guys are always on this journey to try to love well. That you love people that nobody else will love. You know, you serve people that other people forget about. And I think that's, a, that's an important thing. We've been a people who've been blessed with healing. You can't believe, you wouldn't believe how many thousands of people our, our little community has seen healed over the years. I mean, of everything you can think of except for someone being raised from the dead. And it's been uh, uh, you guys that's been at the, the, the front lines of that. I remember the first real dramatic healing we had was... Three young believers in our church. None of them had come. Two of them had come to the Lord from when I was. I used to preach on the Oval, and they were uh, praying one night because they they would hang around us and we always prayed all the time. And so they were praying, and this young girl who just come to the Lord. So they're all four young believers, but this young girl, she only been a Christian about a month, and they were they were praying, and she said, "You know what." I just think God wants to heal me. And they go, what's wrong with you? She goes, well, I'm deaf. And they go, you're deaf? She said, yeah, I'm, I was born deaf in one ear. You know, because it's hard. To, when someone's talking and they seem normal, you don't know that they're deaf. But she was born deaf in one ear. And so they said, well, that's cool. Let's do it. And so they're praying for her. 
And they prayed for uh, once and nothing happened. And, and uh, Tony, one of the guys said, well, John Lieb said that we're supposed to pray more than once if nothing happens. And they go, okay, let's, you mean we can do that? Yeah, John Lieb said you can do it. Must be okay. So they, they prayed a couple more times and then they're praying and, and they ask her, okay, can you put your finger in your ear, your good ear, and let's hear it. And, and so they go, she tries it. And, and they, you know, they, they back away and they kind of whisper. She starts screaming and she starts running. They were in a, they were in a church out in, in Richwood. And she starts running around this church screaming. And they thought that like she was hurt or something. Something had happened, you know, because she's, she's got her hand in her ear. And she's running. And she's crying to come back. And she goes, I'm completely healed. She goes, I can hear perfectly. And like they kept moving away and tasting it. You know, it's hard to do it, just putting your finger in your ear. Well, she went to the doctor a couple of days after that. They test her. They said, your hearing is perfect. Your hearing is perfect. And that was just ordinary people. But see, see the ord- our ordinariness is not a hindrance because we're built on the cornerstone. He gives honor to whoever honors him. And so many of us are held back by our sense of I'm so ordinary or I'm less than ordinary, right? We've just seen profound healings of people who are emotionally broken in so many ways, whose relationships are broken. Uh, For years, uh, right now we don't, but I think there was a a period of time where we never had less than six ex-pastors in our church here who had just burned out, washed out, flamed out, blown up, and almost lost everything. And they would end up here. Sometimes other churches in the area would send them to our church. And they would just get restored. And God, it's just the grace of healing that's been lost. And I think it's on the vineyard too. I think it's supposed to be on every church, right? I'm just speaking of like our unique sort of personality and our our market niche and then last of all we've always been people and i think this is this is this this, we've had you know moments where we're more engaged and less engaged but we've always been people who have shared the good news with other people we've shared the gospel we've you know we've evangelized we proclaim the good news and there are hundreds of people who have come to the lord through our little church and our influence along with other people, uh, there, there are several pastors in Columbus that came to the Lord because people in this church led them to Christ. There are people who are missionaries who came to Christ here. And that's because we honored the cornerstone. And he's honored us. But it's something we have to, we're supposed to own and not let the the same kind of rejection that Jesus received choke out the sense of how special we are in Christ. Because the world that rejects Jesus and disrespects Him will disrespect us because Christ lives in us. And, and looking at all of us, we are ordinary and subordinary. Now, there's a few of you that, you know, you know who you are. They're extraordinary. We're, we're grateful that you, you know, deign to hang around with us. 
But I think our takeaway today is really simple. Christ, who's special, the cornerstone, has made us a special community with a special cause. And, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not at the end of my run of, you know, leading here. But I'm, I can see it. And this sense of who we are, you guys have to hold on to this. Because this has been here. Some of you, you're new to our church. And, you know, it seems okay. It seems it's not, not altogether intolerable. You know, it's from, as churches go. And, but maybe some of you have really been touched. And I know uh, Victor's brother was here last week. There was a bunch of Peruvians here, if you guys didn't notice. All these dark-haired people that were sitting in here because we were, we were remembering Brenda, who was Victor's wife, who passed away a few months ago. And one of, one of Victor's many relatives that was here uh, came up for prayer. And I talked to him at, at a, like a, a reception afterwards, and he came up to me. His name's Lucho. And uh, Lucho said, uh, John, he said, I just wanted to tell you. He says, I've been to, to the vineyard before, you know, three or four times. He said, it's always so, and he's, he's speaking to me in this real thick, you know, uh, Peruvian Latino accent. And he goes, it's just so wonderful, he says. When I, I come in and people start singing, he says, I start crying. I feel so wonderful, like whatever cares I have, they just fall away and he's got this big cross on he goes and you know i'm roman catholic and he said that doesn't happen to me in my church and i didn't i don't want to go there lucho (laughs) i'm not going to say anything bad about any other church i'm sorry that's your experience but he said it's so wonderful and he said after you taught last week uh you asked people for prayer and he said some of our family came up for prayer he said i came over and he was over on this side he said and some people began to pray for me and, I don't, and he didn't tell me what he was asking prayer for, but he said, they put their hands on my chest. And he said, as they were praying for me, he said, I started weeping and weeping. He says, my tears were falling on their hands. He said, I felt this love. And, and, and they were praying the secrets of my heart. They knew what was going on inside me. He said, it was so wonderful. I thought that they would, be, they would be bothered by my tears falling on their hands, but they were so kind and so gentle. I felt so loved. And I thought, that's it. That's it. You know, if that's what you took away from here, whew, Lord, good. That's in the pus column right there. And we don't know how special we are because we, we judge ourselves by the way people judge Jesus. And we don't know how hungry people are. We don't know how thirsty they are. We don't know how poorly people are loved. And we are not, we don't love perfectly, but we have tried to love well. We've held that out. When we blow it, we apologize, we try to deal with it and grow. We have this heritage that comes from the cornerstone. It's going to be here when I go, when, and all of us are gone. God birthed something here. And I want to ask you this year, you know, as we move, this is, this is like my little congregational message. It's a little different. I want to ask you to do three things. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and your takeaway is, is this. It's really simple. I want to ask you to make 
Christ the center of your life and not a hobby. There's too many of us that treat Jesus like a hobby. You know what I mean? He's not the center. Your life isn't built around him. It's like, you know, you fit him into your life when you can. Just like a hobby. And in other words, you're, you're, you're not a follower of Jesus. You're more a fan of Jesus. And if that seems harsh, I'm just it's being honest with you. Uh, d- discerning people can see it. So I just want to encourage you to, to recognize that and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for you know, taking you for granted. If you've taken him for granted, when you come up and take these elements, for you to be special, it costs Jesus everything. That's what the bread and the wine tell us. That the covenant, the agreement, salvation, the good news came at infinite cost. Someone who was perfect took your place. So, you would, so your suffering could end. So a new life could start. And he's just, it, he just deserves our best, doesn't he? Secondly, make vineyard. If this is your home, make us your family. Don't treat the vineyard like you're a consumer. That's what we breathe in our world, is this consumer mentality. What, you know, is the coffee warm enough? You know, is it comfortable? And all that. And, you know, this, this thing right here, should, you should just walk in, and when you feel these comparisons and this oh this the chair can't they get some new chairs the colors the preaching the musicians i had someone recently tell me that they really were frustrated because some of the people who play drums they drop their drumsticks once in a while i just went wow gosh i said and i I did this is just what i did i said do you remember that thing we have in the auditorium it's a cross means that's what it's all about you're not, stop being a consumer. Be a follower. Be a worshiper. But see, that consumer mentality just invades our hearts and it, it just chokes off the, 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 the heart of the gospel and the, the grace of God from us. And if, if that's happening in your heart, you think that way. Uh, I don't mean that, that we should take things for granted and treat you, you know, second class, but it's a two-way street. You know, for the people that worship and lead and teach and work with the kids and all this, I just want to ask you to, to, to pray and think about how can we, how can the vineyard be my family? Instead of however it is that you relate to us. And then third, make Christ's cause what we're about, making Jesus real. And all, all of the dimensions of that, make that your cause. Make that your cause. And that means, I want to ask you if, you, if you don't invest time and energy and money here, this year, please do that. Figure out how God wants you to invest in his cause here, in the family you're a part of, how he wants you to invest what is your hard-earned time, energy, and money. Because when you take these elements... You're supposed to give the Lord everything. And when you give Him everything, He gives you back way more than what you gave Him. Years ago, some missionaries 
who were serving in Africa, people used to, people, this is, these are people from England, they used to send them tea, because English people really like tea. But they would send the missionaries used tea bags. And the missionaries were incredibly grateful for it. But, you know, really? Give them the used tea bags. And I, when we come to the table of the Lord, we're, we're, we're receiving grace upon grace upon grace at great cost. And we just have to open our hearts up and say, Lord, wherever you are, just acknowledge where you're at. If you're, if you're not at you know, where you've been before or where you're going to be one day, just acknowledge it. You don't have to beat yourself up about it, but just say, Lord, I see what I can become. You are inviting me to be like you. When you take these elements, when you open your heart up, the heart of Jesus gets formed in you a little more and a little more and a little more and a little more. And sometimes there are little dramatic moments of grace. So this morning, these are the three things I think the Lord's inviting us into. Not to treat him like a hobby, not to treat his family like a uh, consumer, and not to treat his cause like you know, something that there's no possible way that, that you want to have any involvement in that. And then let, let Jesus just start working.